The Shaggy Jenkins Show. We have to make Russia great again. On the Pacifica Radio Network. That was about to get really long. (laughs) It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome to it. Boy, do we have a lot of stuff to talk to you today about, including news of the downward spiral of the first week of 2019, trends that shouldn't continue in the new year and some lessons learned from the previous year before we get to all of that hi welcome to our weekend review show my name is shaggy jenkins i'm a critical thinker a problem solver a guy that does the windshield wiper dance from time to time and somebody found on my website at shaggyjenkins.com or wherever fine social media is patrolled by russian bots at Shaggy Live. Joining me today from our East Coast Correspondence Desk, she is a longtime contributor to this show and just all around dying to get into a new year with me. Please welcome East Coast Correspondent Stacy Roberts. Hi. Well, hopefully, you know, it'll be better for me with, you know, my gardener selection. <laughs> Yeah, because look, before we get into today's topics, I have been asking all of the correspondents all week long, what are stories of interest that have impacted them in 2018? Now, of course, we we heard from uh, Thomas Reynolds from FYI Nation. We we heard from Ron Pertee from the Ron Pertee Show and, of course, Drew Landry. But, Stacy, this is the thing. When we were talking before the show the biggest story that impacted you did not make a headline, but honestly, it kind of should have. Let's talk about it, shall we? It should have in that uh, for me in 2018, the biggest headline was one that I had to text people to make sure I hadn't lost my mind. My very white gardener calling me colored and the N-word on my own property. Okay. Okay, so let me get this straight. On a property that you own and you are basically paying for these, what is called a CMA or common maintenance area kind of stuff, the guy Mm -hmm. that was employed to take care of your lawn decided to be a little judgy about status in life? Yeah, apparently I am colored and then a few days later he showed up at the door to tell me that he didn't know that we had stopped calling black people colored oh and i just it took him a couple of days to get it did it mm-hmm. in 2018 was it yes 2018 i do believe it was march <laughs> Look, I know that we talk a lot about social issues on this show, and we talk about them from a national standpoint, but this is the thing that really bothers me. Uh, Because my hosts come from different areas of the country, it bothers me because I live in a paradise. Let's just go ahead and say multinational Hawaii. If you've never been here, oh God, you should come. It's great. We all get along. Um, But... When it comes to, well, your city in particular, Orlando, I kind of thought that it would be progressive, kind of one of those blue dots in the middle of a red shell. To be fair, we moved since we started doing this, and we moved just outside of that blue shell. 
And I have never in my life wanted to be in a Mario Kart game in first place in my life. You know, please throw a blue shell at me. Please. please, please, I need my progressive views back. The, the, the thing that I really bothers me. I want to go back me. to last place. Just, just get I know. Blue shell. This is the thing that, that, that really kind of got to me because this happened back in April. Mm-hmm. And, and so far this year, if you are looking to kind of restore your faith in humanity, since that incident happened in April, has the national headlines actually given you any hope? No, not even close. <laughs> but this is the thing, too. Florida is typically a very conservative, supporting the GOP, blindly kind of state. But I never would have figured especially with places like Miami and the Florida Keys, and let's not even mention St. Augustine and Ybor City and all that stuff, but I thought Florida would be a lot more progressive than something like that happening, yet when, when we talk about it, I'm going, oh, God, what have white people not learned in 2018? Why are we still fighting a civil rights battle? Well, for one, I, I stopped fighting because apparently my marriage to a non-black person <laughs> made this a lot easier to deal with than he had previously thought it would be. Yeah, now don't, don't get me wrong. My wife is Hawaiian. I Clearly, I married her to stay in this country of Hawaii, and she married me for the last name and the reservations it could bring us. But <laughs> at the end of the day, we should all be treated kind of Fairly and equitably, uh, equitably, what am I trying to say here? We should all be, equally? yeah, equally, that's it. I was trying to say equitable and then add the e-li part to it. But, you know, white people haven't barely learned the concept of the English language. So at what point do we think ourselves as gardeners able to denigrate others in their status in uh, society? Look. This is one of the things that was kind of disturbing about 2018, not just in this story that happened to you personally, but to stories from around the country, from minority after minority, in their encounters with white people. Is 2000 the, uh, 2018 the year Crackers lost their mind? Um, I would say it was the year that Crackers had finally come to a pivotal point in history of progressing progressing forward and moving forward with the rest of the world and then suddenly it starting in 2016 to 2018 it was like a boil that kept growing and growing and growing and last year it popped <laughs> it does seem to have popped a little bit because this is the thing social media in 2018 was pivotal to kind of exploring this whole mystique of white culture in America and their interactions with people of color. The biggest thing, and I want to bring this up as kind of one of those trends that should not be continued, and this was brought up on TheRoot.com, of trends that white people should stop doing in 2019. Stacy. Did white people call the police excessively on minorities in 2018? Yes. 
if that is a question, I feel like you need to pull your head out of the ground, open a newspaper. And I don't mean even go online and read news. I mean, go to the store, pay cash, pick up an actual tangible newspaper and read. Yeah, because around the country we had women calling the police on a black family having a barbecue in a public park. We have had white men try to ask for residency proof from minorities poolside at an apartment complex they actually lived at. And encounters such as the crazy knife-wielding cracker that I put up last night, and time and time again, from Starbucks to everything else, 2018 proved to be the year of paranoid white people. But Stacy. Why is it? And because I'm, I'm asking this not just as a show host, but as a representative of somebody that actually has friends that work in law enforcement, why is white people's racism a police matter? Okay, so I've had this discussion plenty of times, not on air. When a minority generally has a problem, they don't call the police. Because, you know, years of racism, it's a problem. But they call their cousins. And I don't know what the disconnect is here, but y'all don't call cousins. <laughs> no. It's like you think the police are your cousins. And now that you've brought up all of the instances when black people and other minorities had the cops called on them for no reason, my headline of the year is actually per the other permit patty, because there were several. Oh, God. That called the police on a black girl running a lemonade stand when she actually owned a dispensary. <laughs> you cannot own a dispensary and then call the police on black people for also being entrepreneurs. There is a serious disconnect here. There is a very serious disconnect here because this is the thing that, that really kind of bothered me about headlines like this. Over the year of 2018, black people, persons of color, minority communities in the United States have had an increasingly difficult time existing. And one of the biggest hashtags that came out of 2018 was black while existing. The thing is, is Stacy, this trend has, has, has kind of seemingly came to light under the Trump presidency. But look, as, as a person that grew up in, in, as a minority, you probably have seen this kind of instances so long. And, and is 2018 the year the rest of the country actually felt your pain? Um, I want to say that the country felt my pain, but it, it didn't happen because my incident didn't get reported. Other incidents didn't go reported. And so we're out here suffering in silence when it barely makes the paper. You know, this is the thing that really gets me, too. As long as we're talking about stories of 2018, ones that make the paper and ones that don't. Okay, also on this list was things like uh, don't make acoustic versions of no diggity. Please stop white people making ukulele versions and yes that's the correct pronunciation because i am here in hawaii ukulele please stop making versions of of hip-hop and r&b songs to that but 
this is one of the big trends. And and I don't know if I'm guilty of it, being a Caucasian male, cis, normal host of a radio show. I don't know if I'm guilty of this. But in 2018, Stacy, white people decided overwhelmingly through mainstream media to start talking about what is and what isn't racist. And I'm going to go ahead and say, if you are not a person that is actually a victim of institutionalized racism, and in fact that you have the same complexion as the proprietors of said institutionalized racism, you really don't get to weigh in on whether or not it exists. Um, what are your thoughts? Okay, I've, I have, I feel like I have this discussion every single, like we have this thread every single day. There's understanding and being an ally. And then there's in the same breath telling me that having dreadlocks is not cultural appropriation and people should be allowed to wear their hair from these same allies when I have been told that my hair, the way it just grows out of my scalp, is unprofessional. Um, okay, hang on real quick. Uh, being a person that worked and actually founded one of the first reggae stations in the United States... But I'm going to tell you, dreadlocks are very serious cultural business. And anytime you kind of appropriate that look without appropriating the entire teachings of Ja Rastafari and the Rastafarian movement, you are doing nothing but, um, I don't want to throw out how old I am, but back in the 80s, we called this faking the funk. You were putting on some perpetrating stuff. Okay? But that's just it. Cultural appropriation by white people in 2018 took on higher and higher precedence. Not just from, and this is one of the things that I don't think people consider. Are you ready for this bombshell, Stacy? Look, it can't get worse than the gardener, okay? You would have to wake up really early for that. What about, ready, cultural culinarial appropriation? If I see one more fusion restaurant in downtown Orlando, I might scream. <laughs> yes, and please, crackers, paella is not one of your native, di native dishes. It, it, it's not, but that's all. Whole other story. Yeah, but the, the the thing is, is in the year 2018, then this should be one of those trends that we talk about that should end from American white society. Stacy, in the year 2019, don't you think it's great if instead of appropriating the culture, we celebrate and raise up the culture that we adopt things from? Oh, that would be great, but that would require the status quo in this country to shift to equality instead of being this horribly one-sided, very unseasoned and bland narrative that I get to hear every single day. Right. I mean, because, look, I'm just going to be honest. North Carolina, the home state that I'm from, which is one of the five, five major barbecue families in the United States, North Carolina, your style of doing pork is West African in nature. I mean, I'm West African. 
Yeah. Also by nature. <laughs> so and, um, there is that. Uh, by the way, Southern soul food, mostly African in its base origin. So once again, crackers, yeah, welcome. Um, but this is the thing. In 2018, not, oh, not only did overwhelmingly Caucasians engage in cultural appropriation, but also cultural and racial exclusion. Stacy, I have to talk about this trend. In 2018, it was very, very evident that only white people thought they loved America. Is that true? No. <laughs> that is not even close to true. I mean, there are not that I've actually seen too many of these really proud good old boys around here in the red uh, counties in Florida ever look at a natural history museum or an actual museum or even crack open a textbook about people and anthropology. But if you go to, say, a Civil War museum, you will find black generals. If you go to any museum, you will find plenty of of minorities, Native Americans, you will find black people, you will find Asians, all fighting for America. Yeah, look, as one of those people that had some great involvement this year with the Nisei Veterans Center, and if you've never visited it, hey, Aloha is located on the beautiful plush Valley Isle of Maui. Come see the Nisei Veterans Center because there I learned about the fighting 442 and 100. The Japanese descendant internment camp prisoners who were enlisted in World War II that had bravery exceeding other battalions. The fighting 442 or the go for brokes who were all Japanese in origin um, fought harder than any American Pacific force. In fact, they were the guys that you wanted to hear if you were in the Pacific Front. You wanted to hear that the fighting 442-100 was on its way to save you because they gave all. And the, 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 the tapestry of American history, when you really look at it from the outsider perspective like we get over here in the 50th state, you really start to see that if America wants to claim a single race as being responsible for its, its greatness, it can't, and it never will be able to. It won't, and every marginalized group is always going to feel that way. And the thing that's really awful is that when you have these discussions with people around you, they won't admit it. They will just ignore every single example, and they love to tell you, oh, give me an example. Oh, that's just one. So then you give them two, and you end up in this really bad cycle of just spitting out more information with none of it sticking. And that's the thing that, that really should stick from the year 2018, because the final item on this list that we're reading kind of loosely from on the route, it has to do with how Caucasians, such as myself, fear discussions of race and rights 
in the United States. I'm going to ask you, East Coast correspondent Stacy Roberts. Ah, uh, gentle Stacy, you're going to have to be the one to answer this question for me today. And I oh, apologize. Because <laughs> this is the thing that I have to ask. Does talking about race actually create racism? No. Not willing to listen to discussions about race creates racism. That's the thing that always gets me, though, because crackers, y'all know who I'm talking to. Caucasians, white people in America are typically very afraid to talk about other races. And, and this is the thing. As a Southern person, growing up in North Carolina, you know exactly what I mean. If you have a white family, you have heard them talk about somebody else in a public space, in a restaurant, about one of their co-workers, and if they were differently skinned than you, when that conversation got to their race, it was a whispered word. And I'll give you an example. Remember that black woman I work with? That is a very common thing. And, and this is the thing. Words like that in the Caucasians are always whispered because they're afraid that even mentioning another race outside of themselves will incite some sort of violence or some sort of backlash. But never in our country's history, more so proven by the year that we just got out of, has racial equality and discussions about how we treat races in the United States been more important. Would you agree, Stacy? Okay, I know we touched on this in 2018, you know, the good old days. Oh, <laughs> uh, we were such but, an innocent country then. But it, it's a topic of that begins in white fragility that when even brought up, I'm already going to hear the horrible emails I'm going to get for that. But it, the concept of white fragility and equating it to what it actually is versus how you feel in that moment. It does not mean you have not faced struggles, you have not had barriers, but you have not had a specific barrier being institutionalized racism. That has not been a fight that you've had. Not that you haven't had your own challenges, but this particular hurdle you've never even seen. That's the thing that kind of marks all of our discussions about race in this country. Not only are white people the only ones that thinks that they can, quote-unquote, love America, it seems that they're the only ones that want to recognize kind of commiseration of struggle. Would you say that? Yes, I would. It, even when you bring up a topic of race, it's immediately met with anger and hurt feelings and then you get argued with they will deny explain minimize withdraw and it only repels the challenge to a life that you know and challenge your entire life experience and that hey or my personal favorite oh someone else has it worse yeah you know minorities but 
it works to maintain a dominance in a racial hierarchy that shouldn't exist. It returns that racial discomfort and immediately puts it back on somebody else without any internal self-reflection. Well, the thing is, is like a lot of people would expect today that we would be talking about the government shutdown and we would be talking about Trump and things like that as our major lead story. But as we're reflecting on the year that was going into the year that is to become, I think it's very important that we need to realize certain issues in the United States have not been openly embraced in conversation. And one of those reasons why is kind of the white fear of talking about the elephant in the room makes more elephant. But that's not necessarily true ever, is it? No, it's not. And it's, it's not saying that one elephant is better. Or that one elephant is worse. It's just that it's a different elephant. And for some reason, the concept of the other outside of the normalized American white experience is invalid because it removes a certain sense of superiority and a reflection that, hey, maybe I should be doing something and instead of just benefiting from it. You know, in that not saying anything, you're complicit with the same problem we're talking about. And owning that is not something anybody wants to do. That's one of the things I was about to raise there, because when it came to complicity, right, the actual just saying, well, that's the way things were always done kind of narrative. In 2018, people more so than any other year that I can know in my lifetime, which is substantially longer than yours. <laughs> but um, I have never in my life seen kind of this whole denial that things are what they are. And in 2019, I think it's time that not just white people, but all people kind of take a step back and look at things more realistically. Well, it's interesting because now that I'm in the South instead of from, you know, the glorious state of New Jersey, it's it's weird. You know, you get the Southern pride. And if you look at what Southern pride is traditionally, it is racism in that you are better than people using, the, you know, the coloreds only fountain. But now in 2018, when we've moved past calling people coloreds, Gardner, look at you. Um, it's now, oh... We're not racist, and everything's an even playing field, and I'm not racist. So that narrative has changed amongst the Southern pride, but they won't do anything about it either. So there's a disconnect in that they know and still won't do it. Yeah, and that's just the thing. Knowing something and doing something are completely two different creatures. So when we come back, we'll talk about boundaries to set this year and... What is the latest happening with this whole stupid DC shutdown? Stay close to us. It's the Shaggy Chicken Show. This is 60 Second Civics from the Center for Civic Education. I'm Mark Gage. In Westbury v. Sanders, 1964, the Supreme Court adopted the rule of one person, one vote. This means that congressional district lines must be drawn on the basis of population after each 10-year census. 
According to the court, the population in each district must be mathematically equal to other districts in the state. The one-person, one-vote requirement has not ended debates over where district lines should be drawn. Gerrymandering, or drawing district lines to achieve favorable results for one political party, remains a fact of American political life. Drawing district lines is not an issue in the Senate because Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution gives every state two senators, no matter how large its population. California and Wyoming, for example, each has two U.S. senators. In 2015, California had a population of about 39 million, and Wyoming had a population of about 586,000. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Music by Cheryl Englehart is provided by musicalley.com. 60 Second Civics, where civic engagement only takes a minute. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. But not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day, and it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back, no matter where you're listening to us, from Carolina to California, even here in the beautiful state where we're based, of Hawaii. Aloha. Look, if you've never really caught on to the show and want to check out anything about it, visit our website, ShaggyJenkins.com, or wherever fine social media is served. Look for me at Shaggy Live. My East Coast correspondent and person having to go through the drudgery of figuring out American culture in 2019 is joining me from the city of, well, right outside of Orlando, right inside the red bubble of the blue shell. Please welcome back East Coast correspondent, Stacy Roberts. Yeah, someone please throw a blue shell. Anybody. 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 <laughs> I know. I, I, I know that it seems kind of weird that in the year 2018, we were very pop culture centric kind of society where everything happened to reference something else. So this is the thing. In our first segment of the show, we were talking about all of the things white people shouldn't continue in 2019. But now, I kind of want to reflect around one of the biggest stories of 2018. Stacy, this is a story that me and you covered at the beginning part when it was just breaking. And it has a lot to do with how people should behave in the year 2019. Let's talk for a second about the implications and lessons learned from 2018's Me Too movement. What are your thoughts? As someone who 
got a platform at that point to share my own Me Too story. It's really upsetting and disheartening to see people who were called out by these stories have their careers still intact this year. Oh, yeah. And let's not forget that I I kind of, too, threw myself out there in the, hey, I've been sexually assaulted as an intern when I was starting my whole radio career by a guy that groped me and kind of tried to solicit some sexual activity for me to pass from intern to employee. The year of 2018, even from guys like Terry Crews, taught us that no matter who you are or where you are, it seems that the cultural sexual predator nature of America actually came to light this last year, didn't it? Yeah, and people are saying, oh, it was a different time. Still doesn't make it right. It, it, it It's a very moral... It's not even a conundrum. It's it's morals. That's all it is. It's not even a moral something. It's it's amoral. We'll go with that. But mm-hmm. but you are touching people without their consent. I don't understand how this is hard for any. This is hard for anybody to understand when you could put a white guy in a gay club and suddenly he understands consent really well. Oh yeah. He also understands that if you don't tip the drag show, oh, God, you're a terrible virgin that night. But oh, moving Lord. on. Yeah, no, no. Always tip the dancers. They work their ass off, even if it is a bunch of padding from a furniture store. Look, this is the thing. When we talk about some of the boundaries that, that were, were brought to light in the year 2018, this is something that you just mentioned, and it has to do with consent. Now, uh, a lot of opposition has always been given to let's teach males consent versus let's teach females not to put themselves in a bad situation. But this is one of the things that I do kind of want to bring up. It does seem, and I'm saying this very gingerly as a white, male, cisgender, normal kind of dude, it does seem because of the society that America has over the past couple of decades Stacy, I want to ask you, is actually saying no being taught to women in the United States in a way that is socially acceptable? We mostly condition women to be complacent, don't we? Yes, unfortunately. Um, the, saying no is not something women are supposed to do. Speaking up for themselves is also not something women are supposed to do. I got very lucky in the family lottery with my mother, who is the antithesis of all this, but you, as a woman in day one in America, are invited to lessen yourself in every sense of the word. You cannot be smarter. You cannot be faster. You cannot be better. You cannot be smarter. You cannot shine brighter than your male counterpart. Yeah, exactly. And this is one of the things. Because male culture has kind of always, and I hate to make this blatantly obvious, male culture in America has kind of always dictated how social interactions have happened. And as such, the Me Too movement of 2018 told us not only might that need to give America a little bit of a pause when it comes to the entertainment industry, but in industry after industry and in everyday lives, it's time that we start considering that, look, males in America have always kind of 
deemed culture anti-female rejection. But there is ways that women can set boundaries, very direct ways in 2019 that I think we need to bring up. Okay, so Stacy, here's the thing. Because 2018 told us that consent was important, and let's be honest, female culture in the United States is typically apologetic to male culture in society, I'm going to say that one of the first big rules when talking about boundaries and consent in 2019 needs to be women stop apologizing for a no. I agree. Um, and that's even something I've had to work on unlearning, especially in a male-dominated field like engineering. It's really hard to get anybody to listen to you as a woman and then be a minority. And it's just, I am not sitting here. Like, I did not graduate and have the same degree you do. Even my first semester in my major classes in college, I had to do so many mental gymnastics and be 15 chapters ahead of my, my white male counterparts to even be recognized. And even then, I can remember a single day when we were all doing the same homework and I was the only one that had the answer. And they laughed and thought that was the dumbest thing they had ever heard until we got to class and I still knew I was right. And I had to raise my hand after now feeling uncertain because of that interaction with every single person I was working with, only to be told I was right. You know, and this is the thing, because I know that as far as social communications go in America, we like to apologize for con inconveniencing somebody else. But when you're dealing with a situation of consent, apologizing actually kind of, and, and I, I'm going to ask you if I'm being kind of crazy here, but when you apologize for rejecting someone's sexual advances, that's kind of like saying you are wrong to reject them. That's exactly what that says. So in a way, it's kind it of reverse says consent. that you are what I should want and I do not want it, which makes me somehow defective. Yeah, and that's just it. In the Me Too movement, we have started to learn overwhelmingly not that oh, men are terrible, terrible predators because let's just face it, we knew that since caveman uh but not only are we learning about men being terrible terrible sexual predators but we're learning about a culture that basically even within women co-workers and compatriots denigrates or basically says this behavior is bad when a woman asserts a sexual boundary now, that's something in the year 2019. I think that not only if you're a woman, should you say comfortably no to an unwanted advance, but you shouldn't by any means or stretch of the imagination apologize for it. Now, how likely am I to get some movement behind a thought like that? Within individual circles, you will get very far with the world as a whole, good luck. It is amazing how wanting control of your body goes out the window as a concept when you are a marginalized group. 
when it comes to your race or your gender. And suddenly it doesn't matter because it's whatever a white male wants you to do with it. Wow. And and I mean, let's just go ahead and say that it's probably endemic of a culture that took forever to uh, nominate the amount of women to the House of Representatives that we did in the last year. Or that, let's just go ahead and say, overwhelmingly, when it comes to the Senate, the White House, the Judiciary Branch of the United States, and the Legislative Branch of the United States, let's just go ahead and throw all those branches in there. It is overwhelmingly, about 70% or more, depending on which branch you're looking at, dictated by white, cis-normal, gendered men. Now, in the year 2018, specifically with the Brett Kavanaugh, hearings. We learned that when it comes to this white male culture in America, they almost feel entitled to some sort of sexual favor from the female gender. And I kind of ask you, what are your feelings? Because in the year 2018, not only did we see the rise of the alt-right people, but there was a subsect of them called incels and their influence on mainstream culture. Stacy, what do you think of those guys? That's the really cool thing about being an elder millennial. I, I, I was here for the dawn of the incel and got to see its birth on message boards and its growth, <laughs> its ultimate, just what are you doing? And I sit here and I think about it and then I, you know, I'll go grab my husband because I need a male's perspective. Because maybe it's me. Nah. Mm-mm. There is something so inherently ingrained in our culture that men think they have a right to a woman's body for the most basic things of respecting a human. And suddenly, I owe you a sexual favor. Opening a door. Uh, paying for dinner. You know what? At that point, I will pay for my own dinner. I don't care. <laughs> right. And, and I'm just going to say, as a Southern person, the whole tradition of holding a door open from somebody, you don't want a sexual favor from them. You want them to hurry up and get through the door because it's heavy and you're holding it for them when you could really be moving on with the rest of your life. However, okay, I want to make the leap here because when we talk about outright consent for a sexual act to happen, and the levels of sexual acts that occur, the story in the year 2018 of Aziz Ansario and his date gone wrong says that America really needs to talk openly and honestly, and this is one of those boundary discussions. Stacy, in the year 2019, do we actually need to talk about what we do and don't want in the bedroom more honestly, after initial consent has been given? Yes. But that comes not necessarily just as a culture, but as adults. In America, it's still we're still stuck in the 1950s with sexuality, and that you do not discuss it, you do not talk about it, and it's something to be ashamed of. And the truth is, during the Me Too movement, when men run everything, you'd think that, you know, your counterpart as a sexually as a woman in this case you would want to understand that they would also be a sexual creature. So I don't get where the disconnect in thought is that the person that you're pursuing does not also have preferences. 
And that's just really odd to me. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say from the vantage point of one of the most popular shows that I am so sad got canceled in the year 2018, um, The Break with Michelle Wolf. She had a very lovely piece when it talked about consent. And this is the thing. I think in some small way, and this is me being hopeful here before we move on to the next story, Stacy, was 2018 the year that men at least started to wake up to the idea of giving women a choice is sexy? I wish it was right now. But the thing is, you would think that someone not being into you would be enough to make you not wish to pursue it. Because generally, with humans, you both need to get something out of it. I mean, this is how politics works. This is how businesses work. You need to both come away from the experience having won something. This is not even winning. This is just destroying somebody. Exactly. Just so you can get your rocks off for like three minutes and then you're done. Oh, and, and that's just it. I understand how imperative that it is that people maintain some sort of sense of modesty. America, you're very, very prudish, by the way. But I understand that. However, I don't understand. When it comes to male culture, the culture that I'm going to represent in this argument, why is it so wrong when somebody sets a boundary and tells you these are the things that will give us mutual enjoyment and these are the things that won't? Because this this goes back to our first conversation in that it makes them uncomfortable in that something they could want is not what everybody wants. Okay, well, let's move on to another story, because speaking of things that make me uncomfortable and something I absolutely do not want, I kind of want to talk about this mysterious story this week of the Supreme Court, a foreign company, and Robert Mueller's investigation into the Trump-Russian investigation. Stacy, I just want to ask a real kind of Loose question. Is there a chance that the special prosecutor of the United States is trying to subpoena a picture of our president's penis? Do you have any idea how bad I want to say that it's not possible? (laughs) But that would be a lie. The sad thing is it's very possible. It's very real. And I don't understand why... This is a topic in America, in prudish America, and nobody's disgusted on the Republican side. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so this is the thing. When it comes to the Mueller investigation and the kind of mysterious stop or pause into the subpoena behind this foreign company and the information that the Mueller team was looking for— There is speculation that some of that evidence could involve nude selfies from the President of the United States. Now, at what point of your country, I'm looking at you, Brazil, at what point, oh, actually you too, Italy, at what point of your country does the sexual escapades of your leader actually tie in to the corruption of your whole democratic processes like this, Stacey? 
it is the end of democracy. It has been the end of democracy when Trump won the presidency in 2016 and then went on to say that he had won the majority vote. He One doesn't understand how this government works and that it's not actually a democracy, but that, that's another story. But in that we have representatives that voted them in and did not necessarily align with the voters that they were representing. And no, we didn't want you. We actually showed up to the polls and said we didn't want you. Yeah. Now, this comes from Concord Management and Catering. That's the kind of company that that, that said that they have this nude selfie. And this is the thing. Other than being alleged to be of uh, the president of the United States, you know, a uh, eggplant pick, there is a good real chance that this could actually be the guy driving the whole immigration debate, a nude selfie of Stephen Miller. So, Stacy, as a woman, I can pretty much hear your lady parts shriveling as I say this. If you had your pick between a nude pick of Stephen Miller or Donald Trump, which one would you be betting on in this case? That's disgusting. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the sound of a woman's soul dying. Okay, I am an elder millennial. I have seen selfies i have i know what lighting is like i know that the bathroom has the best lighting for a selfie i also know that there are three kinds of selfies you know there's the face selfie that you can do with your own arm you know smile looks great you know change the angle of your face you know hide your double chin like i do full body selfies and close-up shots but the picture isn't described as any of these things but nude Oh, 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 I know. And, and Now, unless there's a full body shot, there is only one close-up shot mm. that you could possibly get while nude. <laughs> and according to Stormy Daniels, it would have to be very, very close. Okay, but this is one of the things that was filed by the lawyers of this whole case. And they said, from the Concord side, quote, Concord agree argues... Uh, again argues that the special counsel has a make-believe case and the opposition is likely fruitless, but object we must both for Concord and every other defendant to whom the special counsel believes the laws and rules of the United States no longer apply to his novel adventures. I'm thinking these guys bought the Alex Jones ticket. What do you say? They did. They did. Um, I I am amazed that this exists. I'm amazed that it took this long because nobody saved it. I, although I understand why you wouldn't save it. I do. I get that. Oh, I do too. However, I don't want to see the really bad self-tan close-up nude photo in question. <laughs> Uh, oh, oh! neither do I, but uh, there is a precedence for this, because as long as we're talking about novel adventures, can we go ahead and say that 2018 was the year that we very honestly as a country had to come together and say, look, something is not right with this administration. Nude selfies aside, evidence mounted in the last part of the year that Donald Trump put himself out for sale. And Stacy, the biggest lesson that 2018 taught us was that the President of the United States, as a candidate, asked for foreign help and influence in an election to secure our highest 
office. And we're still dealing with that, aren't we? We're going to be dealing with that for a very long time. This kind of fallout doesn't just happen. It's it, it bubbles and it festers and it becomes a huge problem and it trickles into every part of our country. And it gives us sort of a septic shock in that we're not in a position at that point to heal ourselves. Well, see, this is the thing, because according to a lot of political analysts, there is going to be decades of healing to come from these actions over the last couple of years. But, Stacy, in 2019, a columnist from The Hill to Newsweek to Time Magazine and everybody is predicting this is the last year of a Trump presidency. And I'm going to ask you, going forward, do you see any predictions of the one breeze or sneeze that brings down the House of Cards this year? Before this administration, yes. I could easily give you some very singular things that could have done that. Um, now, not so much. And I say that living extremely close to Alabama. True, because this is what was brought up right at the end of the year, with the last filings from Mueller's camp that we should all reflect on. And I'm going to let you have the final thoughts on this one. Ready? Mm. Donald Trump actively, through representatives and directly through his own actions, solicited the involvement of a foreign government to help him win the highest political office in the United States. And he should not under any circumstances, be allowed to get away and establish this as a political norm in our country. Thoughts? In the same way that America likes to be prideful, in that we are policing the world and we are a moral compass, which we should never be, and up until this administration easily could say that the president was leader of the free world, the precedent you're setting is that the leader of the free world is going to use a foreign power to get to where he is, and that is corruption at its finest. And this year, there's a good chance that, especially after next week, when all the deal-making is done, which, by the way, what did you think of that image of Donald Trump printing out a meme and putting it on the situation desk this morning? Or okay. yesterday, I'm you sorry, You do not yesterday. print out memes and put them on the desk. You do not print out memes of yourself and put them on the desk of the Situation Room. I did not think this was something I had to say out loud to a grown man who holds the highest office in this country. When everybody sent me that picture, I thought, oh, hashtag Photoshop. But because hashtag out loud, it shouldn't be something that white people do and say in the year 2019. I'm just going to say that I distinctly thought that it was some sort of error. But when I went back to the live recordings from MSNBC and saw the poster there, I'm going to say that 2019 is the year that this guy does not survive the political process. I would like to agree in that that's not the only selfie of him that has come up this week. <laughs> and Obviously. I'm kind of excited. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Going into the, 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 the new year, and we've got about, uh, I don't know, I'll give you 30 seconds for this. What is the biggest news that you're excited for? Um, people not touching my hair without my consent anymore and more selfies of the president that he didn't think anybody was going to see. Ooh, 
those are good ones. <laughs> I'm going to go with my biggest prediction this year is a Watergate scandal or Watergate-like scandal so big that we forget the name of Watergate and come up with a new name for it. Oh, you're just asking for an all-in pay-per-view fight. I'm here. Oh, God, I know. Well, Stacy, time for us to go. Where can people find you online? Um, you can find me online at Stacy Roberts Orlando on Facebook, which is probably the fastest, easiest way to get to me. Or you can email me at Stacy Roberts Orlando at Gmail. Yep. And until next time and next week, hey, have a happy and safe 2019. Love you, mean it. Get in by. We're out. <laughs>